Well, would you open your Bibles this morning to a couple of places, the book of Romans chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 3, and they're right next to each other, so should be pretty easy to find that. We kicked off last Sunday, was our launch Sunday for Thrive Church. Uh, We're a church who has a long heritage. Glendora Foursquare Church was started in 1988 and has actually had a number of names over the years. But last Sunday was our transition into Thrive Church, and so we continue with the heritage that God has given us, but we move into a new season of life and ministry together. Um, And we had a good time last week. Did you have a good time last week? Did you enjoy breakfast last week? Do you need some coffee this morning? All right. Last week, I shared a little of our, our vision, talked about our vision, which is helping people thrive in Christ. That our vision as a church is that people would thrive in Jesus Christ. And I highlighted the fact that the most important part of that statement is are those two words, in Christ. See, because helping people thrive, well, you can go get a self help book at Barnes and Noble, and and there's books out there that will try and help people thrive. The distinctive thing about us, the different thing about us as the church, is that we help people thrive in Christ. It is the most important thing. It is central to who we are, the person of Jesus. And I used this illustration. I'm going to throw this back up. I won't walk through the whole thing again, but I put this illustration up, talked about this guy or this gal, maybe you, maybe someone else, who has all of these aspects, all these components in their life. And then the fact that faith, you see, is one of those small little circles, one of those small bubbles, that faith isn't just a part of your life, that being in Christ means that he is Lord over all of those things, that he wants to speak to every part of you who you are, your spouse, your marriage, your kids, your family, your friends, your work, your finances, your, 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 your everything. Name it that Jesus, whatever you can name, Jesus wants to be a part of it. And not in a controlling, weird kind of way, but in a freeing, blessing kind of way. And so in Christ is where we land. With that perspective, I want to share a little story from my own life. In 1984, uh, I was living with my family because I was 11 years old, and that's what you do when you're 11. But I was living with my family in South Africa where I was born and raised. And my parents, through church, had met a couple who were part of Youth with a, Wish, Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, and uh, had gotten involved with YWAM South Africa, and then felt the call to actually move to Hawaii um, to be a part of their training program in Kona. And so, 1984, we got on a plane, moved halfway around the world, and spent uh, three months in Kona. My parents were part of a training program. Part of that season as we went with a family was, if you're familiar with YWAM at all, they they do training for three months and then you go on outreach or a missions trip for three months. So it's a six-month process. It was was called a Crossroads DTS. It was geared specifically for families. Uh, Most of the DTS programs are for young people who are single, but they they created this program for families. And so the outreach portion of our time uh, in YWAM was that we went to Hong Kong as a family. So I was 11 years old, uh, went with this team of people along with our family to the YWAM base in Hong Kong. And, and while we were there, one of the things I loved with YWAM is it wasn't, they weren't just engaging with my parents. 
that us kids, my sister and myself and all of the other kids that were part of it, we were trained and we were equipped to actually go out and do evangelism. And we learned some songs and some hand movements and some, some little things. We had little matching outfits that we wore. And, um, and we went out and they had arranged for us to go to these different places in Hong Kong to share the gospel, to share the story of Jesus. And I remember at 11 years old, standing on a stage that really was not much bigger than this carpet. We had taken a train from Hong Kong out to one of the outer territories around Hong Kong, right on the border of, uh, at the time, China, before Hong Kong was annexed back into China. And we went to a school, and the room was probably about twice the size of, of this room. And we were on this little stage, and there were kids all the way up to the stage sitting on the floor all the way to the walls. It was literally wall-to-wall kids. I'd never done anything like this in my entire life. I'd grown up in church, um, and I'd been around church, and I loved church, and I loved Jesus, but I'd never done anything like that. So intimidating, and, and just really kind of freaks you out a little bit when you're standing in this place, and everyone's looking at you. And so we did our little performance and sang our songs and, and did the dance. And, and then the leader of the, this kid's team got up and gave an invitation and asked people if they wanted to receive Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I saw people respond to the, to the message of, of the love of Jesus Christ because I had had a part in sharing it. And it wasn't one or two that all over the room, these kids started standing up until about half of the room, the kids were standing up and saying yes to Jesus. I can honestly say that this was my first encounter with the gospel. I knew about Jesus. I grew up in Sunday school. I'd heard the stories. But it was my first encounter with the gospel. Later on in that trip, we were on the street and we were just handing out tracts, gospel tracts. And there was one lady in particular, I, I, I was in a hallway, we were going from building to building and putting tracts in mailboxes, and this lady came down the stairs, Chinese lady, and she was dressed, like just impeccably dressed, beautiful, beautiful lady, just, I, I just remember like she just made an impact, and she came up to me in perfect English, said, excuse me, could I have one of those? Again, freaked out, like, oh my goodness, what do I, how, what? Sure, and I just kind of handed it to her, and she took it, and she left. I've never forgotten just even the way she looked, the way she was dressed. To think that that tract in my hand put into her hand could have led to her salvation. And my prayer is that one day I'll meet her in heaven because of that 10-second encounter in a hallway in Hong Kong. See, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is key. The gospel is critical. And I want us to look at this morning at our mission as a church. But I want us to look at our mission through the eyes and through the lens of the gospel. Because I could stand up here and say, hey, this is our mission. We exist to blah, 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 blah. And I, can, I, I could talk for days about this because it's burning inside of me, but I realized this week that, that this, without the perspective of the gospel, is just words. 
It's just action. It's just stuff we do. And can I just tell you, we don't need another church that goes through the motions. We don't need a church that plays church. The vision I have, and I believe the vision that God has given me for this church, is that this church would be a church that impacts the world with the love of Jesus Christ, with the gospel. So as I was studying this week, the Lord just even opened my eyes to the fact that knowing, growing, serving, and going is the gospel. It is the gospel. Our mission as the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word, though, in our culture has lost some of its, its gravitas, right? Some of its weightiness. Because we talk about things like gospel choirs and gospel music. And on Spotify, when I see gospel music, I don't click on that. Right? Because it's not the music I like. And so we've equated gospel with a genre or with a, a style of doing church. Imagine gospel as, right, choirs and robes. That's gospel. We're evangelical, but that's gospel. No, 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 no. The gospel, the gospel is critical. The gospel is key. In fact, the gospel is defined this way. It is the good news Specifically, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Everyone say good news. news. Now say it like you you just got good news. Good news. news. Right on. We love getting good news. Jason went to work this week and he got good news. Hey, here's a $100 gift card. So you can get groceries for your family. It's good news because he was walking in obedience. Every one of us loves getting good news. Well, this is the best news. This isn't just good news. This is the best news that we could ever get. That Jesus loves you. And he has a plan for your life. That he knows your name and he sees your reality and what's going on in your life. And he wants to meet that need. The Apostle Paul says this about the gospel. In fact, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 Romans 1.16, Paul talked about the gospel a lot. In fact, we're going to read some of what he wrote, not just here in Romans, but some other places. Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Say the power of God. The power of God. All right, we're going to have to do that again. I'm going to count to three, and you're going to, you're going to say power of God. One, two, three. Power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I think faith is an important word in here. That in the gospel, that the power of God, which wants to reach down and save humankind, men, women, and children from their sin and from the ways that are leading them to death, that he wants to save us, it's in the gospel that that power is revealed. And as Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Can I ask you this morning, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And don't answer that too quickly. Because it's easy to say, oh, no, 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 not at all. 
if I came to your workplace this week and watched the way you lived in your workplace and acted and spoke and interacted with your coworkers, would your actions say that you're ashamed of the gospel or you believe in its power? I want to tell you this morning, it's going to be a hard-hitting, fast message. My goal is not condemnation. My goal this morning is clarity. Because we are standing on the edge of a future for our church that will impact lives for eternity. And as I was praying and as I was studying and as I was calling out to the Lord this week, there was a fire that started burning inside of me. Because here's what I know about myself. I won't speak for you. Here's what I know about myself. We just got through a very busy season getting ready for, this, for this, this launch. And right now is the moment in time where I could kind of back off and go, okay, let's just cruise a little bit because I'm a little bit tired. And I believe the Lord would say to me and to you, no, no, this is not the time to back down, to slack off, to slow down. Now is the time to engage. Now is the time to use that power, to use the voice that we have to impact the world. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Last week, I made this statement in my message. You might have caught it. Maybe you didn't. I said this, our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Christ. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is in Jesus. I first heard that phrase uh, from Pastor Dick Strutz up in Anchorage, Alaska. And I remember sitting in service at Anchorage City Church, and he, he made that statement Kind of as a kind of a like a no-brainer. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I realized that for so many years in my Christian walk and, and even in my ministry, my faith had shifted from being in Jesus to being in the systems and the structures and the programs and the people of the church. And we call that faith. Even when I put those circles up, we, we, we call that part of our life. Well, I'm a person of faith. Faith in what? Every time you get on an airplane, you're a person of faith, right? Your faith isn't in Jesus. Your faith is in Boeing. Coming to church doesn't mean that you're putting your faith in Jesus. You might actually be putting your faith in Pastor Barry or in the person sitting next to you. Your hope might be that something, just something, Lord, just throw me a bone. Hopefully something will just impact me. And so our faith becomes our faith. And we start saying things like, well, well, for this church to be effective, we need this program and we need that program and we need this ministry. And, and, and not to say that those are bad things. We have programs, we have ministries, but our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in our system. Our faith is not in a logo or a name. Our faith is in Jesus. And Christ alone. Not in books and podcasts. My faith is not in the cool pasture on the East Coast. My faith is not in the newest worship CD that came out from Hillsong or Bethel. That's not the anchor of our faith. Our faith is in Jesus, our faith is in Christ. Our faith is in him alone. And that power at work in you, that faith in Jesus, when it's firmly rooted and seated where it's supposed to be, will result in you being a world 
changer. I could pray that prayer over Jeremiah this morning because I believe it. Because if he engages with his call, the thing that God has deposited in his life, the way that God has shaped him for his future, he will be a world changer. And so will you. And your world starts with the people right in front of you before you open the front door of your home. And then when you walk out into your street and you look up and down your street and when you go to work, that God wants to use you to impact those people. How do I know? Well, because Peter and John show me this by their example. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, there's a story. It's right after Pentecost. Peter has got up. He's preached this message. 3,000 people in one day have given their lives to Jesus. One day. That's church growth. Before they knew what church growth was, they didn't have enough chairs. Right? They didn't have enough programs. They didn't have a program. They didn't even have a Bible. They didn't have a worship team. There were no lights. There were nothing. What they had was Jesus in the name of Jesus alone. In chapter 3, though, we find Peter and John, they're walking to the temple to go and pray. They're going to go spend time with Jesus because you can't minister for Jesus if you're not spending time with Jesus. And they encounter this man, this beggar who's sitting at the gate, and he's brought there daily to beg. He's been crippled from birth. He's never walked a day in his life, which we go, wow, that's, that's really terrible. But in our system and in our culture, there are provisions that are made for people. might not be the best, but there's provision. In, in that culture, in that day, you were essentially worthless. There was no value to your life. And the very best that his family could hope for is that someone would take pity on him and throw him some money as they walk by. I say throw because they would not have stopped and give it to him because that would have been disgraceful. This man had no value in that culture and so his eyes are downcast. He's looking at the ground and it's the picture of a man, a dirty mess, sitting at the gate with his hand outstretched and he knows that people are going by because he can see their feet and he can hear them going but he dare not make eye contact with them because he's lower than them. And he hears Peter and John coming by, and he reaches out, and he says, would you give me something? And Peter stops, and he does something unheard of. He stops, and he says to the man, look at me. Look at me. The man looks up thinking that he was going to receive some money. Peter, Peter breaks the mold of the culture by acknowledging someone who had no worth. Look at me. And when he looks up, Peter says these words, I have no silver and gold. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> That's a word for us today. Oh, but Pastor Barry, I don't, 
They had nothing. These guys had given up everything. I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them for the very first time in his entire life. Walking and leaping and praising God. I love this story because there is miracle upon miracle upon miracle that takes place here. Looking at him, he says, I have no silver and gold, but what I I have. In the name of who? The ministry that I've created. I have a healing ministry, so you just need to hear what I have to say. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then he doesn't say this. Hey, I'm going to come back later on in the day. You let me know how that goes for you. Instead, he reaches out of his hand and he says, okay, now get up and walk. And he helps him into the victory that God has promised. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Peter and John were in a place where daily they were living the reality of the gospel and they knew what was at their fingertips and in their hands and in their mouths to speak was life and power and healing and restoration, even for someone who'd never walked. Because consider this, the physical healing wasn't the only miracle. This man had never walked in his entire life. We've all been at a point in our lives where we're learning to walk. You don't remember it. Probably a good thing because it's kind of painful. If you've had children and you watch them learning to walk and they kind of get to that, that first place where they're standing on the edge of the table and it's kind of this deal. And you, take, you know that it takes months to learn to walk. This man had never walked a day in his life. And what does the next verse say? He was walking and leaping and praising God. He immediately had a full healing physically and he had the ability now to walk and leap and praise God. See, because when God brings the gospel into your life, he doesn't bring it partially, he brings it fully to every part of your life. He doesn't do partial miracles. He doesn't do partial healing. We've we've bought into that. Well, I've just got to have more faith. Your faith isn't in your faith. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. And it causes them to do something so outlandish. In fact, people then in the temple are going, wait a minute. That's the cripple guy. We recognize him. What's he doing in here? And there's this uproar that happens and people, there's a crowd. Peter has this ability now to just draw a crowd. And now there's a crowd going, what's going on? And Peter addresses them in verse 16 and he says this. And his name, that's the name of Jesus, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health. Say perfect health. Come on, church. Perfect health. Some of you are living like you got a partial healing, like you got a partial savior, like, Lord, if you could just kind of see your way to, that is not the Jesus that we serve. 
Because I tell you what, and I'm not saying you just have to be all fired up every week, but I'm going to call out this in our church right now. We lack a fire. We lack the fire of the gospel. And I could talk myself silly about the mission. I could say knowing, growing, serving, going till the cows come home. But until there's a fire in your belly, nothing's going to change. The gospel of Jesus Christ and faith in him has the power to radically and completely transform your life, your life, where you stand. Well, Pastor Barry, maybe tomorrow. No, Jesus wants to take your hand today and lift you up on your feet and meet that in you today. Faith in, faith is through Jesus who has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So, knowing God. This is the start of the gospel message. There is no gospel without knowing Jesus. There is no gospel without knowing Jesus. Paul later on in the book of Philippians says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know everything there is to know about him. I want to know his victories. I want to know his sufferings. I want to identify with him. In the book of Romans chapter 8, he says that, that God's intent for your life as he works all things together for good is that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, but it starts with knowing God. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Him personally. Walking in a relationship with Him. And if this is not at the very core and the very center of who we are, we're off base as a church. Then everything else after that would be heresy. It starts first with knowing God, and moves then into growing disciples, growing as disciples, that God is not content to let you stay where you are. Can I get an amen? amen. You might not feel it, but it's truth nonetheless. That he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He doesn't want your life to look the way it does, unless you're doing really well with him. But the thing is, there's even more, because you're not done. How do I know? Because you're still here. If you'd attain perfection, you'd be gone. Chariots of fire, the whole deal. But you're still here, and that means that God's still got things to do in you. Your finances, your marriage, your health. God wants you to grow as a disciple. He wants you to be rooted and established in him, as Colossians says. He wants you, as John says, to be, to, to be part of the vine grafted in and thriving, producing good fruit. And so this gospel is for you. This gospel is for you. This gospel is for you. But it's not just for you. Maybe you've seen this hashtag before. So people say, sorry, not sorry. You ever seen that? I made up my own. Hashtag, do, do we have that? For you, not just for you. I know some of you are faithful on putting the, the services on Facebook. I gave you a hashtag today. See, because the gospel is for you, but not just for you. And part of our Western and consumer thinking is this. Church is for me. 
and you're partially right. But where things get funky in the church is when we think it's all for me. It's my church. And they better do things the way I like it. And you better not change anything because change, well, just, it just upsets me. And No, 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 no. It's for you, but it's not just for you. And so engaging with the gospel message and with the mission of Thrive Church means that, yes, God wants to grow you as a disciple, but he also wants to move through your life in the same way that Peter stopped and recognized that there was a man on the ground. Can I tell you that Peter walked by that guy before? It wasn't the first time. Because Peter was faithful about going to the temple. In fact, Peter had walked by that guy with Jesus. But on this one occasion, because the Holy Spirit was empowering, can you just imagine for a minute, he's walking by and stops. Never stopped here before. The guy's been sitting in the same place his whole life. Peter's never stopped until that moment in time. And he says, look at me. What I give you is Jesus and the ability he has to completely and radically transform your life. So yes, it's for you because Jesus wants to stop where you're at today and minister that. But then he wants you full of the gospel, full of the Holy Spirit in your daily life to not just be going around going, oh, i got so much to do today. I'm so busy. I've got to get the kids and I've got to go to work and I've got to run these errands. To stop when the Holy Spirit says stop and says, reach out to that person. I talked about these little invitation cards. There's a soul. There's an eternity represented by this. Look at the chairs around you. There's some empty chairs. I don't see people who didn't show up to church. I see people who need Jesus. I see these chairs filled. You know why? Let's just say, oh, we're, we have this many people in church. I've said this before. It's not about growing a bigger church. It's about growing a bigger heaven. And I want to see people in heaven. I want to see people in eternity. And I want to have a part in that. And I want you to have a part. I covet that for you, church. But it won't happen if there's not a fire in your belly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can't make that fire happen. Only you can. So we grow as disciples. And then what? We start serving our guts out. Yes, I said serving your guts out. Why? Because Jesus says of himself that the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and then give his life. But Pastor Barry waking up early on Sunday morning, this is really hard. Again, this is, this is not meant to be a condemnation. But if I don't preach this kind of message at this point in our life of our church, I'm doing you a disservice. Because our Savior bled and died and went to a cross. He served by giving his life and he calls us as his disciples to do the same. So we serve not just like, hey, when it feels good for me, but we serve like Jesus. 
We serve like Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit, in line with the calling on our life and the gifts of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and then we, we identify what those things are, and then we give it everything we have without holding back. That's the kind of church I see. That's when I dream about Thrive Church, that's what I see. A group of people who are constantly going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little weary, but, but where else can I serve? Now, now listen, we just got done with EHS, and this is not about an imbalance in our lives because, because you need Sabbath and you need rest, and those come from the Lord as well. But sometimes we default to the Sabbath and the rest, and we have an aversion to hard work. Can I tell you right now, there's nothing more important than the hard work of the kingdom. Alan said it, Pastor Alan. We don't take anything else with us. The people you see around will see each other in heaven prayerfully. But nothing else, nothing else goes with us. Our heritage and our inheritance is people. And then we go into all the world to reach others. It doesn't stay here for you, not just for you. It starts right where you are. I heard this phrase once in regards to missions. It's reaching our neighbors and the nations and everything in between. You have neighbors that need Jesus. I have a neighbor who lives across the street from me. I have a neighbor who lives next to me who I'm praying for. I'm waiting for the Lord to really open the door. And we talk over the fence all the time. And we talk. Um, I'm not talking about Tom, by the way, because he's my neighbor as well. <laughs> but I'm praying for my, my neighbor right next to our house. But right across the street, there's a man and his kids who live there and... They wave, they're super friendly. And the Lord just, yesterday I was making a U-turn in, in front of their house and they're waving and, and Jesus said, you haven't invited them to church. And then he said, but more than that, you haven't invited them to your house for dinner. Of course, this is in the middle of me preparing for this message because it starts here. I can't preach this to you if I'm not living it myself. And I invite you, hold me accountable. Because I want to hold you accountable. Are you going to your neighbors? Are you going to your coworkers? Are you always looking at who needs a touch of the gospel in their lives? Who needs Jesus today? To start your day with that perspective. Today, Lord, I'm going to encounter people all throughout the day. Who needs you that I get to share you with? For you not just for you. We have a missions trip coming up next year. We're going to Kenya. A few of you have already signed up or applied to be a part of that trip. The team's not full. There's room for more. We're going to go to Nairobi. We're going to be ministering with Gary and Brenda Keene, our four square missionaries there. We're going to take time to... Uh, meet with Pastor Joseph Ondicho, who's the bishop of Kenya, Foursquare Kenya. We're going to spend time in the slums ministering to families, mostly single moms. 
Uh, we're going we're gonna to visit some schools. Um, and we're going to spend a lot of time just talking with people because Kenyans are highly relational. Right, Isaac? We love to sit and talk. You, you very rarely see a clock up on the wall because time is not about hands on a dial. It's about, it's about relationship. And so I'll leave when the conversation is over. I love that about Kenyan culture. Can also drive me a little crazy. <laughs> We're going to Kenya. Would you pray about going to Kenya? Would you pray about going out of your comfort zone? Cost, trip cost is about $3,700. It's a lot. Yeah, it is, but you, you shouldn't worry about it because the call precedes the provision. And I've never, in years of leading missions trips, I've never not seen someone go on a missions trip because they didn't have the money if they felt the call from the Lord. In fact, it's an opportunity for God to rock your world in the area of provision. We're going to have other things coming up. We're going to have other opportunities. You're going to hear about things here in the city of Glendora. In fact, Halloween is a Monday this year, and we're going to be volunteering. The city of Glendora does a big Halloween carnival, and we're not going to offer an alternative. We're going to go where the people are. 2,000 of your neighbors show up, and we're going to go be right smack dab in the middle of them, and we're going to bless their socks off. And so you're going to hear about opportunities to sign up to be a volunteer. When you see that sign up, we'll have it online. We'll have it at the hub. Sign up. Jump at the opportunity because we get to go be the gospel in our city. Other places that we're looking at right here in Glendora where we can share Jesus' love. See, because it's not about Sunday mornings in this room. It's about us going. It's about you going with God's call on your life to reach your neighbor's and the nations. This is our mission. Our mission is the gospel. And if you've been impacted with the gospel, praise God. But now it's time for you to make an impact, to trust God, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and allow him to do the miraculous through your life. I'm going to invite us to stand. And our worship team is going to come forward. We're going to close in worship, and our ushers are going to come to receive tithes and offerings this morning. Would you, would you just put your hands out in front of you like this? Just a, a, a sign of surrender and openness to the Lord today. I want to pray over you. Lord Jesus, today, your gospel is available to us fully, not partially. And so, Jesus, I ask that if there are anyone today, if there's anyone today who has not said yes to following you, in fact, I would address that directly to whoever that that might be. If you've not said yes to serving Jesus, if you've not encountered the power of the gospel in your life, and as I've been speaking today, you're going, think that's for me. I don't want to miss an opportunity to say, come to Jesus. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to acknowledge that before the Lord and and look up at me and raise your hand so that I can just agree with you. If that's you, you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to receive the fullness of the gospel today and everything he has 
If you've never said yes to him before, would you raise your hand and look right up at me? Make sure we might make eye contact. Lord, for the rest of us here today, for those who call on your name, who put our faith in you, Lord, I commission and charge this body of believers, this church, to go, to do the work of the gospel, to live their lives in such a way that eternity will be populated with men, women, and children who come to know you. I pray that you would light a fire in our bellies. A consuming fire. A passionate fire. To preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Till all have heard. In Jesus' name. I want to give one more opportunity. Is there anyone here this morning? We're going to continue to worship, but as we do, is there anyone this morning you've never been baptized? And this morning you would say, that's me. I need to get baptized. The water's here. Philip had an encounter with an Ethiopian man. And he was reading these things about about the Old Testament and prophecy. And Philip says, hey, that, that person you're reading about is Jesus. And so the eunuch says, this Ethiopian eunuch says, tell me about him. And so Philip does. And, and he says, you need to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And the, 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 the Ethiopian says, well, here's some water right here. What's preventing me from being baptized right now? And Philip says, there's nothing. Let's just do it. And they stop on the side of the road. And this man is baptized. Here's some water here this morning. Have you been baptized? What's stopping you? Oh, my clothes will be wet. Yeah, It's okay. It's the end of service now. You can go outside. Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I want to be baptized today. I want to make that declaration. All right. Then let's worship God together. Would you lift your voice as we praise the Lord?